0: have your Bibles and I hope you do it's God's word turn with me to Exodus chapter 15 Exodus 15 it's where we left off last week uh, as you turn to Exodus 15 this past week here in the Kansas City area especially the North Kansas City School District there were all sorts of protests this week and and if you followed those or saw those on social media it raised questions about the very topic we're going to talk about today. What we're talking about and what we're going to look at in Exodus is very relevant because these protests raised questions about God's holiness, about God's love. Does God love? Does God hate? How do you balance hate and love? How do you balance holiness and love? And so here's really the the topic of... Uh, we're going to look at Exodus 15 through 34. And when we do, the question is, can God be holy and loving at the same time? Can God be holy and loving? Can He be loving and still remain holy? And if He does, if He can... Is He? Is that what He really is? Does He remain holy as He is loving? Can God be loving and still reveal His holy law and still require that His people obey His commands? Is that loving? We live in a day and age where people think rules are restrictive, that love is being set free from any type of obligation, any responsibility, any accountability. Can God be loving and still judge lawbreakers? So, these are the questions. Now, last week, we left off here in Exodus 15, and we ended with this question, how should we respond to God when He reveals Himself as, I am holy? So, last week's lesson, I am holy. And we ended by saying, we should respond by singing the song of Moses and the Lamb. Moses and the lamb, and it's interesting. So when we see God's holiness, we should rejoice. We should praise. We should sing. We should shout. And that's exactly what Moses led the children of Israel. They had been, uh, they had experienced the exodus. They had gone through the parting of the Red Sea. They had seen. God's enemies, Pharaoh and his armies being destroyed, and now they're singing the praises of God's holiness. And ironically, that's in Exodus 15, but in Revelation 15, it says that we too... When the Lord finally comes to judge in the end times, we will be singing the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. And so that Passover Lamb uh, is going to be fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. Listen to Revelation fifteen 3-4. Three, three and they sang the song of Moses, the bondservant of God, and the, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, O Lord God the Almighty. Righteous and true are your ways, King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. That was all of last week's lesson. For all of the nations will come and worship before you. For your righteous acts have been revealed. So how should we respond? Well, I have three, three ideas there. When you look at these songs, we should praise... We should proclaim His holiness and we should put it into practice. If we are God's children, and if we have been redeemed by a holy God, then we ought to praise Him like we, like I just read. So if you want practice in that, read Exodus 15. The whole chapter, song, or the first half of the chapter, the Song of Moses. Read those passages in Revelation 15. And praise His holy name. Proclaim it to other people. There is no other God. There is no other God. That's why we're translating the Bible in these other languages. Because you're not going to figure it out by looking at the stars. You're not going to figure it out by man-made religion. You must hear the revelation. And then, of course, God says, Be holy, for I am holy. So that's the right response, right? So today... Look at Exodus 15, 22. Let's see how did the children of Israel respond. So they got delivered, and Moses is leading them in this worship. But really, when it comes to day-to-day living, how will his rescued people respond in the wilderness? And I'll cut to the chase. The rescued people respond with ungrateful griping. Ungrateful griping. They're, so, they got a little taste of this, but in reality, they hit the wilderness, they hit the hard times, and what do they do? They're ungrateful. They're ungrateful and they gripe, they murmur, they complain. Now, think about this. Think about the Exodus, think about God's great works. Think about how God had revealed Himself. He had done all these things. You would think these people would be on a continual praise adventure, right? But they immediately get ungrateful. Now, pick this up in um, Revelation 15, verse 22. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out to the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days in the wilderness. Now, stop right there. God had already told Moses, and Moses had already told Pharaoh, let my people go three days into the wilderness in order to do what? To worship, in order to do this, in order to do this. So here they are. They went three days into the wilderness, and they found what? No water. No water. Now, what should they be doing? When you don't have water, you should do what? Pray for it. Yeah, pray for it. Go to the I am God, the ever-present redeemer, the promise keeper. Hey, we're going to worship you. You just did 10 mighty plagues. You just conquered the most powerful nation. What's a lack of water? But what do they do? They gripe. They gripe. And so notice, they gripe about no water. So what does God do? Now, we're not going to read all through this. I'm just we're, we're going to we're just moving. In love the I am Now, now for me, if, if you or I were God, now don't be pious, if you or I were God, how would we respond? I'll show you water. I'd try to drink, you know, I'd take them back to the Red Sea and dunk them permanently, right? But no, in love, God provides fresh water from bitter water. Oh, what a word picture. You folks got some bitter attitudes. You know what? I can bring fresh water out of bitter, and you guys need a heart change. Us guys, me too, right? Okay, then they go a little farther in the wilderness and all of a sudden there's no food. So what do they do? They just got water that was transformed, so what do they do? Do they praise the I Am? Do they go to Him? No. What do they do? They gripe about no food. And in love, the I Am God brings bread out of heaven. Third, they go a little farther. No water again. I mean, can God be any more gracious trying to get this point across, right? Now there's no water again. So what does God do? He brings water out of a rock. Another word picture. These people's hearts are getting harder, not softer. They're seeing more of God. God is showing them in His love, and yet they're getting harder. And God's saying, look, that's okay. I can change your hard rock hard hearts. And so he brings water from the rock. Now, I don't know about you, but think about when your kids are ungrateful and griping, what's your attitude towards them? Do you show greater love to them? Okay, now now don't be too verbal about this because you're going to have to repent in about two minutes here, okay? So here's the idea. Yeah, of course we do. You shouldn't be ungrateful. You should be thankful. Stop that. Don't do it. Well, you know what God does? In love, the I am God goes the extra mile and just keeps blessing him. So go to uh, Exodus uh, 16. Or, uh, I'm sorry, Exodus uh, 8, uh, 16, 17, 17, 17. We're moving so fast, I can't keep up. We're going to Exodus 17. So after uh, turning bitter water to fresh... After bringing bread from heaven to these ingrates, these gripers, these complainers, after bringing water from the rock, God goes the extra uh, uh, mile and in love gives them victory over a Gentile king who resists them. In Exodus 17, uh, Amalek, Amalek and the Amalekites attack Israel. And so what is God's point? Hey... When your circumstances, when it seems like you can't survive, I will provide. But when your circumstances are, you feel like you're oppressed and you have opposition, I can crush them. I can crush them. So I don't know what your circumstances are today. I don't know what lack you're experiencing. I don't know what opposition you're facing. But the I am God loves you. And he will give you the ability to overcome, and he will provide for your needs. Uh, And, and, uh, oh, there's just so much in this story. The Amalekites, they picture the nation that resists the I am God, his purposes and his people. And God says, forever you must obliterate them. Unfortunately, King Saul failed to do. This is an Amalekite that, fa- uh, that Saul later, King Saul of Israel, defeated. And he was supposed to obliterate that people. And Saul spared the king. And he lost the kingdom. See, God's, God is loving. But he's also what? He's holy. He's holy. And then we come to Exodus 18... And you say, wow, that sounds like, the, like uh, God hates Gentiles. No, look at Exodus 18. He gives salvation to a Gentile priest who accepts the I Am God. So God's praises are going out, right? People are hearing about the Exodus, and they're hearing about the I Am God. His people are ungrateful and griping. Some Gentiles are resisting... and they're being killed, right? But others are accepting, and they're being saved. And this Gentile happens to be Moses' father-in-law. And Exodus 18 is a great passage, because basically Moses does what the Israelites were supposed to do. He witnesses to his father-in-law. There's something to do. He witnesses to his father-in-law and says what God did in the Exodus. And this religious man, because he was a priest, this religious man goes, Now I know that the I Am God is the one true God, and he worships him. God does this all out of love. Now, let's stop right there. If we stopped right there, you would say, okay... That sounds good. So far, so good. This is exactly how most people view God. We get to gripe and complain and basically behave like spoiled brats. And God has to love us unconditionally because God is love. Now, that is the picture so far. But I would put forth to you, that's not all that's going on here. And it's certainly not what's coming next. But if we're not careful, that's the picture. God has to be loving. Yeah, those people that reject Him, you know, they get judged. They they have eternal con- condemnation. And some people accept Him. But once we accept Him, we can gripe and complain and whine and live any way we want because God has to love us unconditionally. So, after two months of griping and God loving and providing for them, they finally arrive at Mount Sinai. Look at Exodus 19. Exodus 19, let's look at verses 1 and 2. "'In the third month, after the sons of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that very day they came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they set out from Rephidim. They came to the wilderness of Sinai and camped in the wilderness,' And there, Israel camped in front of the mountain. What mountain is that? Mount Sinai, the mountain of the burning bush. The mountain where God said, Look, Moses, the way you're going to know that I am with you is you will go down to Egypt, deliver these people, lead them through the wilderness like sheep, come to this mountain and worship me. So here here God's word is being fulfilled. They're there. So how did the I am God, the I am God of love, respond to two months of griping? Well, he keeps his promises and he leads them to the mountain of Sinai. Number one, the I am God reveals the glory of his holy name on Mount Sinai. God keeps his promises to his people, though they were undeserving, ungrateful, ungrateful murmuring, griping, complaining. He reveals to them. And what does he do? In love, the I am God keeps his promises to Moses at the burning bush. If you read down Exodus 19, God, just like he burned in that bush, God's fiery presence comes down on the mountain. The mountain's shaking. The people are seeing on the mountain what Moses got to see in the burning bush. That's loving. And it's loving for that to come down and not burn them up. Okay? And so, it's love. Secondly, in love, the I Am God reveals the glory of His holy name. He reveals the glory of His holy name to the Israelites He rescued out of Egypt, even though they have been ungrateful gripers ever since their rescue from Egypt. Now, that... Most people can understand. Wow, God's loving, right? God is loving even when I'm not. But look at number two. The I Am God, what else does He do on this mountain? What else does He do in the very next chapter in Exodus 20? The I Am God reveals two things. His holy law and His loving desire. He reveals His holy law and His loving desire to dwell with His people. So you get this sameness. Hey, I'm holy, therefore you need to be holy, and I'm going to reveal my law to you. But the reason I'm revealing my law is because I want to come down there and dwell in your midst. So not only am I going to reveal my law, but I'm going to give you plans for building a tabernacle, a dwelling place for my glory. That's loving. And so here's what we want to see. Number one, in Exodus 20 through 23, so we just covered three chapters. I hope you saw that. 20 through 23, the law, and of course the law is the big ten, the ten commandments plus more are revealed in these passages. Why? Because in love, the I am God expects them to be holy as he is holy, so he reveals the law. Listen, the most loving thing God can do is let us know his expectations and demands before we, you know, before we encounter him. Okay, and so God gives His commandments to guide us in a fallen world, to protect us. Hey, don't do that because there's destruction on the other side of it. He does them to, he gives them these laws to set them apart. You say, why can't they miss? mixed fabrics. Why can't they do all these weird things to us? It was to make them different than the people around them. And he gives them the law to convict them of their own depravity and to reveal his holiness among them. Next thing we come in Exodus 24 go to Exodus 24. Having given them his law they enter into a covenant. And so, in Exodus 24, the Mosaic Covenant is ratified between the I Am God and His people. You say, what's that mean? Well, let me just, we, we got to go over it quickly, but in love, the I Am God desires to dwell with His people and have fellowship with them, okay? He wants to dwell with them. And so, in Exodus 24, He calls, He says, look, the, there's three levels of fellowship, he says, here's the mountain. So here's, let's say this is the mountain. The people have to say far away. Otherwise he would burn them up. The priests and the elders, they can come up closer, but only Moses, the mediator, can enter into God's presence. It's a total picture of the tabernacle that's going to be built. It's a total picture of the temple that, you know, only the mediator can enter in. And so they 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 have this fellowship. In love, the I am God desires to be in a covenant relationship of loving obedience. So the covenant means I'm going to love you unconditionally, but you're going to obey and keep, you're going to love me back by obeying my commandments. Are you with me? So this is a covenant. It's a marriage between God and his people. And he is the groom. Chris, take notes. He is the groom that is that is uh, wooing his bride, and I'm going to be faithful and committed to you, and the bride's going to say, Audra, I will obey and submit and obey and follow you. Okay, not quite the same. You're you're not God, Chris, but it's, it's close. So what happens? Look at Exodus 24. Look at Exodus 24, 3 through 4. Here's the marriage. Vows, Okay, the marriage vows are taking place in Exodus 24, verses 3 through 4. Notice what happens. Then Moses came and recounted to the people all the words of the Lord and all the ordinances. Okay, so he's basically taken Exodus 20 through 23, and he's shared that with them. This is our God. Here's his holy demands. Here's his holy character. Now, notice how they respond. And all the people answered with one voice, and what did they say? All the words which the Lord has spoken, we will do. That's exciting, right? But remember, who's saying this? These guys, the ungrateful gripers, are saying... All that you have said. I mean, they're entering into this relationship. This does not look like it's going to go well. Right? And so this is what happens. They enter in. Then he, uh, Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. So this is in writing. Uh, then he arose early in the morning, built an altar at the foot of the mountain with 12 pillars for the 12 tribes. So please note, there's going to be sacrifice because these people are sinful. So this isn't going to be done by them working harder. It's going to be done by faith in God's love, God's holiness, God's sacrifices. But they're making this commitment. And because they make this commitment, and because God has a loving desire to dwell with them, the third thing He does in Exodus 25 through 31... Wow, we just did... How many? Is that six? six cha- we just covered six chapters. In Exodus... 25 through 31, he reveals the plans of the tabernacle. If you really stop and look at this like a marriage that's taking place, God is the groom that says, Hey, uh, you know, I'm going to love you. I'm going to take care of you. Israel's the bride that says, Hey, I'm going to commit to this relationship. I'm going to follow your leadership, your loving leadership, not your domineering, not your dictatorial, not your selfish leadership. I'm going to follow your loving leadership, but I'm going to keep all your commands. Then God says, well, I want to build us a home and I want to come and dwell with you. And so he gives the plans for the tabernacle. Okay. And so in love, the I am God reveals his blueprints for building the tabernacle and for anointing a priesthood because the people can't enter in. God's too holy. They're too sinful. They need mediators so His holy presence can dwell in the midst of the people. And so we come to Exodus 31, 18. And when this is all done, Exodus 31, 18. So look at that in your Bible. When the I Am God, when the Lord, the I Am God, had finished speaking with Him upon Mount Sinai, He gave Moses the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone written by the finger of God. God's... Holiness is absolute, it's unbreakable, and it's His revelation. This is powerful stuff. Time to come down off the mountain. Now, how do you think His rescued people are going to respond? How should they respond? Praise, proclamation, and put in practice their vows, right? Well, how does they respond? Exodus 32. Exodus 32 six verses tell us exactly what happens the rescued literally break every law and boldly defame his holy name they literally they are literally breaking every one of the ten commandments while they're being written before they even get them And they defame His holy name. And please, as I was reading through this, I realized the biggest sin was not... By the way, they did two main things. Idolatry and immorality. They worshiped false gods. They made a golden calf. And here's what they said. They made a golden calf out of wood, covered it with gold, and they said, this is the God who delivered us out of Egypt. And that ought to just... Think about that. Think about all. This is the value of moving through this book. Think of all that God has done. And they build something out of wood and they cover it with their jewelry, which God enabled them to plunder from the Egyptians. And they produce a false god and say, this is what took us out of Egypt. See, the bigger sin was not the immorality. The bigger sin was the idolatry that defamed God's name. Instead of praising the great I Am, the Holy One, instead of proclaiming Him and putting that into practice with a holy lifestyle, they make a mockery of His name. So let's look at, look at Exodus chapter uh, 32. Let's look at verses 3 through 6. Then all the people tore off the gold rings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. I mean, this is Moses' brother, who's supposed to be the high priest. He took them from their hand, fashioned it with a graving tool, made it into a molten calf, and they said, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Now when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation... He made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And he used the I am. Tomorrow is a... They are calling this false god the I am God. And then notice what he says the people rose so the next day they rose early and they offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings and the people sat down to eat and to drink and they rose up to play and they weren't playing uno they weren't playing tiddlywinks that that is a euphemism for immorality idolatry and immorality how is God going to respond? Number two in your notes, the I am God is jealous for the fame of his name. The I am God is jealous for the fame of his name. Oh, he's, he's loving, but he's also holy. And jealousy is not a sin in this case. God is simply saying, hey, we had a marriage contract and you're violating it and I'm going to keep my end of it. I'm going to pursue you. I'm jealous for you. I don't share you with anybody. You're my wife. See, there's a jealousy that's selfish and sinful, and there's a jealousy in marriage that says, hey, you're mine, and you don't belong to anyone else. And guess what? I'm yours, and I don't belong to anyone else, and we're going to have this relationship and keep this faithfulness. So notice what happens. 32, let's look at verses 7 through 10. Then the Lord spoke to Moses. Now notice what's going on. Go down, go down at once for your people. Uh oh, there's a gap. Your people, whom you brought up. You see, the Lord, wait a minute, I thought you said he can't, well, but he's holy. And he's like, they're not acting like my people, they're your people. When I deliver a people, they don't behave this way. They're your people that you brought out from the land. Uh, of Egypt. They have corrupted themselves. They have quickly turned aside from the way which I commanded. They have made for themselves a molten calf and have worshiped it and have sacrificed to it and have said, this is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. He's jealous for the fame of his name. So how did the I am God of love and his mediator respond? It sounds like God's going to be all holiness and judgment. Well, how did they respond? How did he respond? And how did Moses, the mediator, respond? Well, number one, the I am God tests the holy love of his mediator. The I am God tests. and you say, I don't understand. Hang on. The rest of chapter 32, he tests the holy love. Look at verses 9 and 10. Let's keep reading. 32. The Lord said to Moses, the I am God says to Moses, I have seen the people, and behold, they are an obstinate people. Stubborn, stiff-necked, hard-hearted is the idea. Now then, let me alone, that my anger may burn against them, and I may destroy them, and I will make of you. I'll start over with you. Now, again, what do you do with your ungrateful kids? If you're not careful, I'm going to get rid of you. (laughs) Right? That's, I mean... Here's what God's saying. God is testing Moses. In love, the I am God tests Moses to see if he'll love God's people like God has loved him. Will he love the rebellious and sinful people with a holy love like God does? So he's saying to Moses, look, I'm going to turn my back on them. You want me to turn my back on them? Guess what? I'll turn my back on them. If you'll turn your back on them and I'll start all over with you. I bet you he was tempted, do you think? Yeah, you know, I'm better than them. God, you deserve better than them. Yeah, start over with me. Notice what God, how does Moses respond? He responds with a holy love. He does three things. He intercedes for the people with the same kind of love that God has. Here's what he says. He says, look. In 32, 11 through 14, he refuses to call Israel his people. And instead, he reminds God they are your people. And he reminds them of his promises. So what he does is, he says, basically what he says is, Lord, this isn't about me and it isn't about them. This is all about you and the glory of your name. These are your people. It's your reputation at stake. And it's your promises that you made. If you destroy them, the Egyptians will say, well, what kind of God is that? Isn't that amazing? You see, Moses had learned who God is. This isn't the Moses of excuse making in the burning bush. Oh, what about me? What about me? What about me? This is Moses who's been rescued. This is Moses who now knows the I am God. And he says, look, God, don't destroy them. Don't start over with me because this is about you. This is about the fame of your name. Wow. Now you, you say, well, there we are again. God just loves people no matter what. Second thing Moses does. Moses carries out God's holy judgment. In Exodus thirty-two fifteen through 29, having reminded God of the fame of his name, having reminded God of his promise, Moses goes down and he does a couple things. First of all, he throws down the stone tablets and shatters them. Well, first of all, he goes down and he's got burning anger. Burning righteous anger. Why? Because is God angry? Yes. Does Moses reflect God's character? Yes. So he comes down with a burning anger. This isn't the the hothead who killed an Israelite. This is righteous burning anger. He comes down and he breaks the stone tablets. Why? What is that picture? What have the people done? They've broken the law. And so he visually shows them I, you've broken the law, so now I'm going to break these stone tablets. Secondly, he does what it's so hard to do in families. He confronts his own brother Aaron about their, his compromise. Probably the hardest thing about love and holiness that people struggle with is they pray they place family above God's holiness. and they won't confront holiness. Air, uh, uh, Moses goes to his brother and says, Look, you're wrong. God's holiness is greater than our brotherhood. And then third, this is the tough part, he orders all those who refuse to repent. Well, I'm sorry. He, he, he basically says, he draws a line. And he says, All of you that are for the Lord, come over to me. And the tribe of Levi comes. And then he says, take your sword and now kill everyone that won't identify, everyone that resists. Basically, treat them like unbelievers. And the Levites go throughout and they kill their brothers, their sisters, their mothers, their fathers, because God's holiness is greater. And the Levites on that day became the priesthood because they had a a a desire to honor the holiness and, yes, the love of God. So Moses intercedes in love. He carries out God's holy judgment. The last thing he does, he intercedes again for the people and seeks atonement. He says, look, if you guys, you know, judgment has come in a small measure from, you know, from the Levites. But listen, if if this thing doesn't get taken care of, if God doesn't change his mind, you will be utterly destroyed. I'm going to go back up that mountain, and I'm going to intercede for you and ask that God will cover your sin. And so he goes back up. Look at Exodus 32, 30 through 32. Exodus 32, 30 through 32. On the next day, Moses said to the people, you yourselves have committed a great sin. By the way, this is like the, 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 uh, the... In Exodus 32, sin is mentioned more times than any other place in the book of Exodus because now it, it's, it's, it's blowing up. It's blowing up. And now I'm going to go up to the Lord, the I am God. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. Perhaps I can. You know what is behind his thoughts? I'm going to go up as your mediator, and I'm going to offer myself as a sacrifice in place of your sins. I hope that my life can cover your sin. Who's that sound like? Okay. And they have made, listen, and he says, I'm going to make atonement. Then Moses returned to the I am God, and he said, Alas, the people have committed a great sin. They have made a God of gold for themselves. But now, if you will forgive their sins, and then he breaks off. If you will forgive their sin. And then he thinks, man, this this may be impossible. And if not, please blot me out from your book which you have written. Basically, he's kind of putting it to God. He's saying, look, if you're going to blot them out, don't you dare make a nation of me. You blot me out with them. That's love. That's a holy love. In love, Moses passes God's test to see if he loves God's people like God has loved him. Moses loves the rebellious and the sinful people with a holy love, with a holy and self-sacrificing love, just like the I Am God. You probably have no greater picture of Christ-likeness in the Old Testament than that right there. And here's how the... The I am God responds. Number two, the I am God responds with a holy love for his people. A holy love. Look at Exodus 32. Let's read verses 33 through 35. The I am God said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. Look look at Moses. You're not in charge of the book. You're not the one who can say, I want my loved ones saved. That's my job. That's my decision. And so he says, I will blot, but go now, lead the people where I told you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I punish, I will punish them for their sin. Then the Lord smote, smite, remember the plagues, smiting the people because of what they did with the calf. Now, what's going on here? What's going on here is God saying, look, I'm love, but I'm also holiness. Holiness. Moses, you can't be the substitute for my sinning people. Someone else has to do that. I have to do that. I am holy, and I can no longer dwell. So basically what he says is, look, you lead them, and I'll destroy them as I see fit. How did his rescued people respond? Exodus 33. Go to Exodus 33. How did they respond? Remember how they responded this time, or the last time? They responded with griping. This time, they respond not with this, but with repentance. Oops. They repent. Because all of a sudden, it's dawned on them, it's much better to have God's presence than His provisions. It's better to be in a hard place and have God with you than to be in a good place and not have God with you. The rescued people finally repent at the thought of God's holy presence no longer dwelling with them. You see, in love, the I am God is testing Israel to see if they are willing to live without him. Are you willing to live without me? And basically what he's saying is, look, you want to live on your own, you go on your own. Are you willing to live without me? Look at Exodus 33, verses 1. Let's look at verse 1. Then the I Am God spoke to Moses, Depart, go up from here, you and the people, whom you have brought up, again, these are your people now, the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying to your descendants I will give it, I will send an angel, a messenger before you. I will drive them out. I'll keep my promises. But notice, for I will not go up in your midst because you are an obstinate people and I might destroy you. Basically, God's saying, look, I'm holy. I love you. I'll keep your promises, but I can't go with you because I'll destroy you because I'm holy and you're not. And when the people, look at verse 4, when the people heard this sad word, when the people heard this sad word, they went into mourning. The moment they realized, whoa, God's serious about His holiness. And when I'm unholy, He's going to pull back. When I'm unholy, there's consequences, and there's going to be a break in our relationship. There's going to be a break in that fellowship, and he's not going to go with us anymore. Here's the point of the test. Do you love me for the benefits I provide or the blessing of my presence? Do you love me for what I do for you or who I am with you? How do you know that? How do I know that? Well, how do you respond when life doesn't go the way you want it to? How do you go when life how do you respond to God when life is hard? Or do you say, you know what, I'd rather be in the worst place on this planet and have you with me than to be in the best place and not have you with me? That's powerful stuff. And they pass the test. They repent. And so, number two, Moses does what Moses does once again intercedes for the sinful people, so God's glory will remain. So God's glory will remain. And so to cut the story short, he goes up to the mountain he says, Look, look, you have to tell me what you're doing. Basically, he's telling God, if you don't go with us, this isn't going to work. We've got to have your presence. And you know what God says? He says, Okay, Moses... I will be with you, singular. I'll go, I'll be with you, but I'll keep them. And Moses comes back and says, look, you gotta be with us. You've got to be with us. Wow. Verse 17. The I am God says to Moses. This is chapter 33, verse 17. The I Am God says to Moses, I will also do this thing which you have spoken, for you have found favor in my sight, and I have known you by name. And then Moses says, I pray you, show me your glory. Always think of that move, show me the money. Well, the money is the glory of God. Show me your glory. I've got to know that your character can be counted on. I've got to see your glory. I've got to know. Show me so I know that you will remain with us. That's a bold request. And God answers it, verse 19. And he said, I myself will make all my goodness to pass before you. I will proclaim the name of the I am God before you. I will be gracious, though, to whom I will be gracious, and I will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. What he's saying is, Moses, I'm going to grant your request, but you can't manipulate me into forgiving people. That's my, I'm sovereign. You can't manipulate me. You can't bribe me. As good as you are, Moses, as much as you pray, you can't make me. It all is based on my sovereign character. We'll talk more about that next week. But here's what I want you to see. Here's what I want you to see. Next week, we'll see how God responds with one of the greatest revelations of his character. You've got to come back next week. You've got to come back next week. But for now, I want you to ask yourself, where are you in this story? How will you respond to the love of the I am God? Are you going to be ungrateful? Are you not going to be? Are you being ungrateful and griping in hard circumstances? Basically, there's four applications I gave you there. In the end, the children of Israel were desperate for God's presence. They said, you know what? We're going we're to forsake our sin. We're going to forsake this foolishness. We're going to quit playing religion. We're going to destroy our false gods because we're desperate for your presence. And so like Israel, we have a need that we can't overlook. We need God's presence. Amen? And I don't know what you're going through, but understand this. This world cannot take from you what you need the most. And what do you need the most? god's presence secondly like israel we have a privilege we must not neglect moses is constantly enjoying a privilege of entering into god's presence that the rest of israel didn't have but guess what as new testament believers you and i can enter into god's presence are you enjoying that privilege or are you neglecting it third Like Israel, we have a mission we cannot complete. Here's what Moses and Israel understood. We can't conquer the promised land. That's our mission. We can't do this without you. And probably the greatest sin in this room right now, and that includes me, the greatest sin in this room right now is trying to live life and do God's ministry without His presence at work in our lives. In other words... We try to accomplish the mission in our own power. You say, how do I know if I'm doing that? Well, are you entering into God's presence on a daily basis? Are you like Moses interceding and saying, God, we've got to have you. You've got to show up today. Let me ask you, let me beg of you. You spend Saturday night, you spend Sunday morning begging the I am God to show up at our worship services. God, you've got to show up. Brian, when I cut the grass, God, you've got to show up when I'm cutting that grass. Because this is about you. Terry, when I'm singing, you got to show up. Chris, when you're teaching, you got to show up. Promise kids, kingdom kids, you got to show up. And then finally, like Israel, we have a mediator that we must not reject. Moses was good but He wasn't good enough to atone for the sins of His people. Jesus Christ enters in with His blood. Jesus Christ is at the throne of God, interceding for us today. Listen, is this us sometimes? Yeah. But we have a mediator who prays and is atoned for our sins. And by His blood and by His name... We can enter into God's presence. Isn't that great? Amen. Okay, we covered a lot, but the best is yet to come because next week, God's going to come down and He's going to reveal His glory. And we're going it's going to tie everything together. All right? Are you ready? All right, let's pray. Father, we thank You for the unfolding of Your Word. I can't help but think of the Maconde people. They need this. They need this in their language. And Lord, we have it in our language. Thank you for revealing the glory of your holiness and the glory of your love and that indeed you can be holy and loving at the same time. That is unbelievable. There is no God like you. Help us to reflect that holy love in the remainder of this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Read Exodus. You will love it.